Amen. Thank you, Bob. I love this time of year. It is Christmas time. As the song says, and I agree, it is the most wonderful time of the year. Everything changes at Christmas. Everything changes at Christmas. Just look around you. We decorate in ways that we don't decorate at any other time of the year. Uh, We put up lights and Christmas trees. We sing songs that uh, we don't sing at any other time of the year. Radio stations begin to play Christmas music all the time. Every uh, and, and we hear all these new Christmas songs. Our, our favorite artists put out Christmas albums from the sublime to the absurd. Television stations begin showing Christmas specials. The, the Hallmark Channel is playing back to back to back Christmas love stories like Marry Me at Christmas, The Mistletoe Inn, A Bride for Christmas, A Boyfriend for Christmas, A December Wedding, and A Holiday Engagement, just to name a few. Stores are advertising like mad uh, for you to spend your money. We had Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday, and then if you have anything left over at that, you can give back on Giving Tuesday. But only after you spend everything else do you give back. And you can see it in the eyes of children as they get excited about this time of year with the gifts and, and Santa. That's, that's what I love. I love seeing kids and how excited they get at this time of year. Seeing the joy in their eyes, the anticipation. To them, it seems like forever. It'll never get here. It's a time where family come together, maybe for the first time all year even. Uh, but for many, this is a time that also brings loss and pain. When your family isn't home for Christmas. When you've lost a loved one, when those feelings of loneliness and loss become amplified, what is it about Christmas that changes everything? I think it is the hope for something more. The hope for something extraordinary. The hope for change. The the hope for new life. The hope for new beginnings. It's a part of the longing of all humanity. It's a longing that has been built into our soul. And at Christmas time, this longing gets amplified. And the world sees Christmas as an opportunity to satisfy the cry of our souls. But all of those things that I mentioned about Christmas, the things that make it fun and wonderful, they don't ultimately satisfy The trees, the lights, the greenery, the hot chocolate, the Christmas specials, the songs, the family, they ultimately don't satisfy the cry of our souls. They aren't wrong, necessarily, but they aren't really the soul of Christmas. They are all that the world has to offer, though. It's all that the world can give us are those things. It's the best that the world can do on its own. But they aren't the true soul of Christmas. So I want to remind us again of the soul of Christmas. And for that, we're going to go back in time. Back before Christmas trees and Christmas lights. Back before Christmas pageants and Christmas gifts. Back before Jesus, even. We're going to go all the way back to the prophet Isaiah prophet Isaiah, born in the 8th century B.C. 
He's considered the, the prince of prophets, the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah. And Isaiah's message, Isaiah's message was a message of judgment and a message of hope. Isaiah's message, his whole theme of his book, a message of judgment and a message of hope. And it starts out, if you've read Isaiah before, in the beginning of Isaiah, there is this incredible vision that Isaiah has where he is transported into the throne room of God. And it says that the the glory of God filled the temple. And his glory was like smoke and, and the train of his garments filled the temple. And Isaiah is dumbfounded. And in fact, Isaiah thinks he's done for because he says, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I've seen the Lord. He thinks he's going to die. And all of a sudden, Isaiah sees this heavenly being, and this heavenly being goes to the altar and, and takes a, a burning coal from the off altar and places it on the lips of Isaiah. And it purifies him and makes him holy. This unholy creature that we are is made pure by this coal that is placed on his lips. And God calls him. This is that famous where God says, who's going to go? And, and, and Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Send me. And, and what is God's calling to Isaiah? What is the message that uh, God gives to Isaiah? It is a message of judgment. Here's the message God tells Isaiah. Go and tell Israel I'm going to kill you and destroy you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's the message. It's a message of judgment. Go and tell the nation of Israel that they are under a curse. Proclaim judgment on the whole nation because they have not been faithful to God. In fact, he says, I'm going to destroy the whole nation of Israel and they will be taken into exile That's the judgment part of Isaiah's message. But there's another side of Isaiah's message as well. It's a a message of hope. Because God says, I will not completely destroy Israel. In the vision, we see the nation of Israel. It's like a tree. And God says, I'm going to cut it down. And there's just going to be a stump left. But out of that stump, there will grow a new branch. A holy seed will come out. That will restore the nation. That's the hope part that is being proclaimed. The hope that is proclaimed is is that there will be a future king from the line of David that will rise up. And this king, unlike King David, will completely obey the covenant and the law. And God's blessings will be shown not just to Israel, but the entire world. Everyone will know the true blessing. Of God. This judgment and hope shows up throughout the whole book, but it even shows up in the division of Isaiah as well. I don't know if you know this, but how many how many chapters are in Isaiah? Sixty-six. Look at these biblical scholars. Sixty-six books, uh, chapters in the in the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah has two parts. The first 39 chapters focus primarily on the judgment of God. 
but there's also the theme of hope that runs through it. And the last 27 chapters from Isaiah focus primarily on the hope and comfort of God, but also with a reminder of the judgment. And what I think is so amazing about this division is that it is so similar to the division of the entire Bible. How many books are in the Bible? 66. Y'all are, y'all are smart. The Old Testament has 39 books. Just like Isaiah, the first 39 chapters is book 1. And the New Testament has 27 chapters, uh, 27 books. And the second part of Isaiah has 27 chapters. In fact, those 27 chapters are often called the New Testament within the Old Testament. In chapter 40 of Isaiah, the beginning of the second book of Isaiah, what does it begin with? It begins with a prediction of a voice crying out in the wilderness. Just as the New Testament Gospels begin with John the Baptist, the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And Isaiah ends in chapter 65 and 66 with an apocalyptic vision of a new heaven and a new earth. Just like the New Testament ends with John's revelation and vision of a new heaven and a new earth. And our scripture that Bob read earlier from Isaiah 64 is a cry of the soul. I think it's an absolutely beautiful text that speaks to the longings of our hearts, and of a God who satisfies that longing. Let's read it again. It starts out, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so the mountains would quake at your presence. Did you hear that? That is our soul's cry. Oh, God, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. This is what our soul yearns for. That God would actually come down from heaven and walk among us. That he would come and take our broken lives and give them meaning and purpose. Oh God, will you please come down? Will you you see what we're going through? Will you walk with us? Our soul's cry is satisfied in Christmas. When God tore open the heavens... And the angel sang in glory and appeared in the sky when a star appeared in the heavens announcing that indeed God had come down to his people. But the text goes on in hope, knowing that God has done amazing things in the past and knowing that he can do amazing things in the future as well. We anticipate amazing things from God. Did you come this morning anticipating amazing things from God? Shame on you if you didn't. Shame on you. Because this is not some old story. This is our story of a God who moves now. Right now. Not just back then, but now. You should come every day with anticipation. What's God going to do today? And maybe I can be a part of it. See, the people of God knew the amazing things that God had done in the past. 
And so even though they were lamenting in judgment, they were still in anticipation of what God could do. We remember all that he has done for us in the past, and we wait with bated breath for what is going to come next. And they go on and say, God, when, when you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right for those who remember you in your ways. There is no God like our God, a God who satisfies the desire of our hearts, even when we aren't worthy, and even when we deserve judgment, God sends hope. Let's read on. It says, yes, God, you were angry and we sinned because you hid yourself. We transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean and our righteous deeds, they're like a filthy cloth. We can't save ourselves. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There was no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. That is indeed the good news. That God has shaped us. We are his children. We are the work of his hands. And he desires to save us. I hope you understand that. God desires to save us. Our soul's cry is satisfied in Christmas. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the hope of the world. Jesus is the the faithful king from the line of David. Sent to tear open the sky and come down in glory. And we have beheld this king of glory. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to help restore the soul of Christmas. We are called to be a light to the nations. So I want to leave you with another verse from Isaiah. If you would just close your eyes for a minute and think about this hope that God has given us even when we don't deserve it. Think about this message that Isaiah proclaimed to a people who yearned for God to come down. Think about that you Know that God has come down. This verse comes from Isaiah as well. Chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Hear these words anew. For a child. For a child has been born for us. A son given to us authority rests upon his shoulders and he is named wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace his authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace 
for the throne of David and for his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that our soul's cry is satisfied in Christmas. Everything changes at Christmas. May we remember that, O oh God. May that sun transform our lives. May we indeed fall on our knees as we proclaim Christ is born. Amen.